0: Thinking Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is Elijah the Ark Typal Prophet. My guest is Daniel Matt, who is a professor at the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. Daniel is best known for establishing the Pritzker translation of the Book of Zohar and translating the first nine volumes of the 12-volume series. He is also author of God and the Big Bang The Essential Kabbalah, the Heart of Jewish Mysticism, Zohar, the Book of Enlightenment, Zohar, Annotated and Explained, and most recently, the topic of today's interview, Becoming Elijah, Prophet of Transformation. Daniel is based in Berkeley, California, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be with you. I think it's probably been about 30 years since the
0: last time we were together on camera. Good. It's good to see you and to reconnect.
1: We'll be talking about the prophet Elijah. It's such a rich material that you have mined for your recent book, especially because Elijah is not just a Jewish prophet. Uh, really, Elijah is, is a figure that uh, has deep roots in Christianity and in Islam. And I think you can find comparable figures in uh, the Hindu tradition as well.
0: Yes, it's really remarkable. He seems to pop up everywhere. You know, many people are familiar with the song, uh, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, the black uh, spiritual. That's actually based on Elijah because it says, I looked over Jordan. What did I see coming for to carry me home? And that's referring to the chariot that carried Elijah up to heaven. So it's entered culture in so many ways. And as you say, Islam and Christianity, we'll get to talk about that a little bit, too.
1: One of the foremost facts about the stories associated with Elijah is that he didn't die. He wasn't a normal mortal like the rest of us. He was carried up to heaven in a chariot. It almost has echoes of all of the UFO mythology.
0: Yes, it's very it's very surprising. Elijah is really the only person in the Hebrew Bible uh, about whom it is said that he was taken up to heaven. Enoch, The figure Enoch is mentioned earlier in Genesis, and it says God took him. But with Elijah, it's much more dramatic. Uh, He and his disciple are walking by the Jordan River, and a fiery chariot uh, comes with horses of fire carrying Elijah up to heaven. So does that mean that he died in a spectacular way? Or is it implying that he actually escaped death, that he never died? The Bible is really uh, ambiguous there. It's hard to say what the biblical author is intending. But later tradition uh, holds that Elijah did not die, that he ascended to heaven, and that he's still there. And eventually he will come and announce the final redemption. He'll announce the coming of the Messiah
1: well, growing up Jewish myself, uh, I think, uh, even though uh, in a Midwestern conservative Jewish synagogue in the 1950s where there was no discussion of mysticism or Kabbalah or, or even angels or uh, anything of that nature, uh, the Jewish communities as far as I know at that time were trying very hard to be mainstream Americans and not stand out in any way still the uh, on every passover seder the idea was that the prophet Elijah might come and participate in the seder and a cup of wine was prepared
0: for him right that that I think is the is the association that most people have most Jews and many non-Jews who have visited a seder this holiest meal of the whole year, right the most intense family experience in almost all Jewish households, there's this strange guest and kids, little children are wondering who this is. At a, at a certain point, the door is actually opened in many homes to welcome it Elijah. And as you say, a cup of wine is placed on the Seder plate. That's a tradition that has no clear beginning. It's not mentioned in the Bible or the Talmud or the Midrash. It gradually develops... Apparently because people believed Elijah would come and announce the final redemption and Passover is a time of, of redemption, redemption from slavery. So Elijah became associated with a Seder and this is another example of how he, he, he's not dead. He hasn't disappeared. He hasn't disappeared totally. He's available. He's in heaven, he's available to show up for the Seder, actually to, to show up for every circumcision, uh, and to help people in need, people who are suffering, or people who are spiritual seekers. Elijah is the person who offers enlightenment. And this is in Judaism and Christianity and Islam. He is the, you could say he's the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. I think that's really his role in, in Judaism and in all Western religion, he conveys enlightenment, he conveys new learning to those who are genuinely seeking.
1: At the same time, uh, in I, I believe it's the Book of Kings, and you you quote extensively the uh, original story of uh, the adventures of, of Elijah, the the man, the embodied human. He comes across as a religious zealot, very different
0: from the present characterization. Right. That, I think, is the most remarkable thing about the, the adventures of Elijah, or the, the saga of Elijah. In the Bible, he's a fierce zealot. He cares deeply for, for the people, but he cares more deeply about the people's connection to the one God. And he's basically fighting the idolatry that was prevalent in ancient Israel, the worship of Baal and Asherah. The Canaanite divinities, so the people of Israel are torn between the worship of the one true God Yudhevavhe or Yahweh, and this worship of Baal and Asherah. And Elijah actually stages a contest, a very dramatic contest, where the king Ahab calls the Israelites to assemble on Mount Carmel, uh, which is by present-day Haifa, on the Mediterranean coast, and there there's a contest. Who can call down fire from heaven? Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to try to call on their God. And they try for hours and hours. They fail. And then Elijah calls down fire from heaven and wins the day. He wins the hearts of the Israelites back to the worship of the one true God. And he actually slaughters all of the prophets of Baal. So he's a fierce zealot fighting, championing God, you could say, performing miracles right and left. And then in later Jewish tradition, he changes from a fierce zealot into a kind of Jewish bodhisattva. He's totally committed to, uh, to tikkun, to the repair of society, to the repair of people's psychological brokenness, and in that sense, paving the way for redemption. But he somehow has transmuted his zeal He's still zealous, but now he's uh, he's zealous for compassion. He's zealous to spread the awareness of God.
1: And the prophets of Baal that uh, were slaughtered, as I recall from the, the story, there were some 400 of them who were brought into the kingdom of Israel by Ahab's wife,
0: I think Jezebel. Right. Jeze- Jezebel comes off in a, a very dark portrait. It seems that Ahab's sins are blamed on her. Or Israel's suffering is blamed on her. She's the, the dark feminine figure. And uh, she's out to get Elijah. When Elijah slaughters the prophets of Baal, I think the 450 prophets of Baal and then another 400 prophets of Asherah, they are not slaughtered for some reason or other. But the prophets of Baal, he slaughters and Jezebel takes that very personally. And then Jezebel wants to kill Elijah. He flees from her. And he makes his way to Mount Sinai, which is remarkable. That reminds us of Moses. And a lot of the narrative about Elijah seems to be based on uh, the stories of, of, of Moses. So Elijah goes to Mount Sinai, and he there has a revelation. God reveals himself to Elijah in a wonderful passage. And this is in 1 Kings chapter 19, I believe. And there uh, it says that uh, a wind arose, a powerful wind, but God was not in the wind. And then an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. And then fire, God was not in the fire. Finally, there's what's called in Hebrew, kol demamah Daka. It's often translated a still, small voice. But more accurately, the Hebrew means the sound of sheer stillness. And that's the revelation of God. God isn't in the wind, the earthquake, the fire. God is in silence. God is in stillness. It's a remarkable passage because this is the opposite of Elijah. Elijah is this fiery zealot, and God seems to be teaching him a lesson here and saying you don't find the divine in these dramatic, violent outbursts, wind, earthquake, fire. God is found in moments of silence. So this kind of paves the way for the eventual transformation of Elijah. He finally learns that it may take him decades or centuries, but Elijah learns to cultivate gentleness.
1: I guess there's a sense in which the story of Elijah seems to be the story of of everyone, because I see that uh, in your book you you point out how uh, Elijah's closely identified with John the Baptist, he's closely identified with Jesus, he's closely identified with a a mysterious Muslim figure known as the Green Man, or uh, perhaps you can pronounce it correctly, I'm afraid I'll mispronounce it,
0: Yes, Al-Khidr or Al-Khadir, the, the green one. That's the Islamic version of Elijah. So he he seems to pop up everywhere. He's a shapeshifter. It's a wonderful term. I thought that that was part of Marvel superheroes. But shapeshifter really goes back to the history of religion. Many figures in ancient mythology have this quality being able to take on whatever form is necessary for the particular situation, for the particular dilemma. And Elijah is a master of that. So you mentioned the New Testament there. Why is Elijah identified with John the Baptist? Because remember, one of Elijah's main roles is to announce the coming of the Messiah. So for those who believe that Jesus was the Christ, it makes perfect sense that Elijah would announce his coming, so, even in the New Testament itself, uh, Jesus says that John the Baptist is Elijah. And that, that uh, fits in perfectly with, with the Jewish tradition of the time.
1: So, Elijah becomes sort of a, a spiritual figure, but uh, who interacts with humans and is a connection, a, a, a conduit, one might say, between the human world and the divine.
0: Yes, exactly. He's really the in-between. W- one one author has called him the virtuoso of the in-between. So he's the the man of transition. He makes his own transition and transformation, but he helps people awaken. He helps people discover. And that's true uh, already in the in the Bible, but more so in rabbinic literature. In rabbinic literature, Elijah is really a super rabbi. He's someone who participates with the other rabbis in discussing Torah, but he has the advantage of, of having membership in a very special academy. He has membership in Yeshiva Shamala, the heavenly academy. This is an academy where God teaches the souls of the righteous who have departed this life. And Elijah has a membership there, so he can report to people on earth what is being discussed up above in the heavenly yeshiva, in the heavenly academy? And that leads to some fascinating stories in the Talmud where he's part of the rabbinic discussion. He's he's part of this give and take, trying to figure out how God wants us to live our lives. He doesn't know it all. He he wants to learn more. So he's somehow, again, in between. He's in between the human realm and the divine realm. And that's that's why he's so remarkable.
1: Now, you are a specialist in the Kabbalah and Elijah is particularly associated with uh, the Kabbalah,
0: particularly the Zohar. Yes, you know, it's, it's surprising. Elijah is so much uh, a popular figure. He's the, he's the most widely known figure in all of Jewish folklore. More than Abraham or David or Adam or Moses. There are more stories about Elijah than anyone, anyone else. So I say that because to emphasize how popular a figure he was. And yet he's involved in conveying, in transmitting these esoteric teachings. Uh, one scholar has said, what Moses was to the Torah, Elijah was to the Zohar or to the, to the Kabbalah. I think that's a little bit of an overstatement, but the point is that Elijah again is the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. So a mystic who is searching for some deep inner meaning, a mystic who's looking deep into his or her own soul will encounter Elijah as a guide. Elijah is the spiritual guide. Who's available and yet uh, you can't pin him down. You can't make an appointment with Elijah. He's going to show up uh, on his, on his own. He is the element of surprise is very much there with Elijah.
1: He's also referred to as a prophet and I think probably the first of the prophets, uh, maybe the one who established uh, what I've heard sometimes referred to as the school of prophecy.
0: Yeah, he's not absolutely the first prophet, but he precedes almost all of the prophets we know. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of those, what are called the literary prophets. Prophets for whom we have entire books or chapters. Elijah's before that. Elijah doesn't write down prophecy. In fact, we, it's possible that he could, that he was illiterate. There's no clear, uh, fact about that given in the Bible, but you don't find him writing or or reading. He's speaking, and he doesn't give long speeches. He just speaks directly to people. He's always confronting people. It's very much a confrontation any time that Elijah appears in the Bible, although he also can, can help and, and save people.
1: He ended up choosing Elisha as his successor. There's a famous phrase in the Bible about passing the mantle on. We hear that expression a lot. It, it refers to Elijah, uh, in, in effect, initiating Elisha uh, into
0: uh, his lineage right. of prophecy. Yes, yes, that's fascinating. When he, when he picks his, his disciple, I mean, God tells him who to pick. When he meets Elisha, he, as you say, he, he casts his mantle, his robe over Elisha, and that's the sign that Elisha has now been anointed, as it were, initiated. And it's, it's interesting. We mentioned Christianity briefly, where Elijah is central, is very important in the New Testament. Uh, Elijah is also important in Islam, he's identified with this mysterious figure, Al-Khidr, the, the green one, as you mentioned, the green man. And sometimes uh, Al-Khidr is identified with Elijah, sometimes they're seen as brothers or cousins. But the great Sufi mystics, they have an experience with Al- Al-Khidr that's almost identical with what the Jewish mystics have with Elijah. And in fact, the same mantle, the mantle of Al-Khidr, is cast over the, the Sufi to initiate him, just as the mantle of Elijah was cast over Elijah's disciple.
1: There is a sense that these stories are so powerful, uh, I suppose you could say archetypal, they appear again and again. Oddly enough, I'm reminded of the, the story of Parseval in the Grail Legend, who uh, begins his career, I think, as a rather crude person who uh, treats women rudely. I think he may even have uh, forcefully had sex with a woman, and but later becomes the, the Grail hero. So, there's a, a lot of personal growth in the story. And that seems to be how you're describing Elijah as, as well. There's what uh, dramatists would call, I, I guess, a dramatic
0: arc. Yes, yes. He's, he, Elijah can be something of a trickster. You know, he really ha- has that quality where it's very unexpected and he doesn't fit into any of the known categories. Let me read you one very brief uh, story from the Talmud about his shape shifting. And this involves the erotic Quality too. Uh, there was a great sage in, in the second century named Rabbi Meir. And Rabbi Meir's sister-in-law had been imprisoned by the Romans, actually condemned to live in a brothel. And Rabbi Meir rescued his sister-in-law from that brothel. But because of that, the Romans were out to get him. So the Romans actually put a wanted picture of Rabbi Meir on the gates of the city. And here's how the story goes. They went and engraved Rabbi Meir's image at the entrance of Rome and proclaimed, Anyone who sees this face, bring him. One day some Roman officers saw him and ran after him. Rabbi Meir ran away from them. Some say that Elijah appeared to the Roman pursuers as a prostitute and embraced Rabbi Meir. The pursuers said, Heaven forbid, if this were Rabbi Meir, he wouldn't have done that. Thereby he was saved. So Elijah can impersonate anyone, depending on what's needed, and he'll even do something that seems to be disreputable in order to, to save uh, the rabbi who's in trouble.
1: In modern folklore, it, it seems to me that stories of this sort are often associated with angels, strangers who appear out of nowhere and perform a, a
0: saving act and then disappear. Yes, Elijah really is an angel. Elijah becomes a type of angel. Of course, in the Bible he's a flesh and blood human being. He's the zealous prophet who's taken up to heaven. Uh but really he's described as an angel. He's unlike any other angel because he still retains some human qualities. He can he's irascible. Okay, he he can be impatient. He doesn't have full knowledge of of what's going to happen. Uh so he's angelic, but he still has his his own personality. Well,
1: I imagine that the Kabbalists who, who wrote the Zohar uh, were people who were paving new, new ground in, in Judaism, really. The, the ten sephirot of, of the Zohar, that's really something quite original. But as I understand it, they, they describe it as if it came to them from
0: Elijah. Yes, that's very significant. The mystics come up with these wild, new, or you could say new and ancient radical ideas that God is half male and half female, that God needs us, God is dependent on our righteous, virtuous action. So the mystics had to justify these radical innovations, and many of them either consciously or unconsciously attributed their teachings to Elijah. In other words, if someone came to a Kabbalist and said, how can you say that about God? How can you bring this radical new understanding? They would say, Elijah told me. So it wasn't the mystic himself who was coming up with this new view of God and and the human being. It It came to the mystic from some hidden source, from some inspiration, and the name they give to that inspirational source is Elijah. In other words, the mystics experience it as Elijah, but you have to wonder, is this happening inside of them or from an external figure?
1: Well, I also imagine that in, in the context of Kabbalah, where you're it's breaking new ground theologically, so to speak, uh, yes. but you're within a very tight-knit religious community by attributing the origin of these new ideas to Elijah, It's it's a way of saying that These new thoughts, these new discoveries, are really part of uh, the orthodox
0: ancient tradition. Exactly. Elijah is really the the guarantor of tradition. He's the figure who's the most traditional possible. So if something new has to be given its uh, imprimatur, its sign of approval, Elijah is, is the one who does that. It's remarkable that later in, in later Jewish mystical tradition, in the Hasidic tradition, they speak of Bechinat uh, Eliyahu, a quality of Elijah within each of us. So Elijah is no longer you know, an external figure, he's someone you can encounter within. He's the, the thrill you have with discovering new knowledge. He's even the thrill you have of uh, conveying good news. right? Elijah will give the ultimate good news when he announces the Messiah. But meanwhile, we, people like to give good news to each other. And Hasidism says if you have the yearning to spread good news, that's the quality of Elijah operating within you.
1: Earlier you spoke of how Elijah was a participant in, in the heavenly schools, in, in the dialogues amongst the uh, heavenly host of God and his angels. That's very reminiscent, I think, of the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement.
0: Yes, the Baal Shem Tov and other Jewish mystics, you know, claim that something came through to them, some kind of inspiration. They might refer to it as Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, or Batkol, a heavenly echo, a heavenly voice. But frequently it's Elijah. What's remarkable, it's very interesting you mentioned the Baal Shem Tov, because the Baal Shem Tov doesn't actually refer directly to Elijah so often, but he does say that his teacher was Achiah of Shiloh. Now who is Achia of Shiloh? Achia of Shiloh is another prophet mentioned even earlier than Elijah, but according to the Talmud, Achia was Elijah's teacher. So what is the Balshemtov doing? The Baal Shem Tov was saying my teacher was Elijah's teacher. It's almost as if the Balshemtov doesn't need Elijah because he's plugged in to the same source that Elijah was plugged into. But in terms of uh, you know how Hasidism begins, it's definitely this this um personal experience of inspiration, and it could come could come through meditation or through encountering Eliyahu. As I understand Jewish mysticism,
1: it it could be said that the Kabbalah, the Zohar, is is really medieval in terms of its origins. But there were earlier forms of Jewish mysticism, sometimes called the Merkabah mysticism, the idea of rising up to heaven, to many heavens, in in a celestial chariot. And the idea that the chariot came for Elijah suggests a connection
0: to these earlier forms of Jewish mysticism. It's interesting that Elijah is such an important source for Kabbalah and for all of Jewish tradition. So he's associated with the chariot. And Jewish mysticism also focuses on Ezekiel's vision of the chariot. So you wonder, what's the connection between Ezekiel's chariot and Elijah's chariot? They're not necessarily the same chariot, but they're both chariots. And it's interesting that Talmud tells a little story you know, when Elijah is about to leave earth, he's walking with his disciple, Elisha, walking by the Jordan River. And the, the Bible just says they were walking and talking. So the rabbis ask, well, what were they talking about? The rabbis figure, well, they, they weren't wasting their time talking about, you know, narishkite foolishness. They must have been discussing Torah. So what were they discussing? And you have different rabbis who suggest what they were discussing. One rabbi says they were discussing Ezekiel's chariot. So Elijah is about to be taken up by a chariot, and he's talking about Ezekiel's chariot. So there there the two chariots are linked. I know
1: in the Hindu tradition, you have the idea of the, I think it's called the Vimana, which is a, a celestial chariot as well, used by the gods as well as mm-hmm. the, the asuras or the demons.
0: Right. And really, you could say, you know, that, that the goal is to, to become a chariot. The goal is to become someone who, could, who can convey the divine will, can, can, can convey divine wisdom. So you have that notion uh, also, you know, you could say discover, make yourself into a chariot, bring God into the world, and find that spark of Elijah that's within each of us, that source of the Holy Spirit.
1: There's also a figure uh, reported in a lot of modern uh, Hindu commentary, sometimes called Babaji, who is said to be, Thousands of years old and, and still alive in the physical body and can manifest, uh, can shape shift and appear suddenly in, in front of people. It's very reminiscent to me of Elijah.
0: Yeah, that's very very similar. I think people need, you know, people need some way or some, some assistance or some assistant to help, you know, to help us uh, escape the, the constriction the constriction we feel, the narrowness we feel. And Elijah and other spiritual figures are that, that opening, that broadening.
1: And there's also this sense, you've described, it comes up uh, periodically in descriptions of Elijah. He's a very common man. I think he's described as a hairy man wearing a leather loincloth.
0: Right. He's wild. He's somehow wild and untamed. There's no account of his being married or having family. You know, it's interesting. In the Bible, he's something, he's a loner to a certain extent, right? He's off on his own. He's always on the move. You can't pin him down. But then it becomes associated with the most familial events in the, in the Jewish home, the Seder circumcision, Havdalah, the the conclusion of every Sabbath. Saturday night, Elijah is invoked. Why? Because he's going to bring the redemption, and the Sabbath is a taste of redemption. So this man who had been such a loner, so isolated, in the Bible he says, I'm the only one left, I'm the only true believer left. He feels isolated and alone. Gradually he's welcomed into the family over the years and centuries, and that's what people associate him with. The seder with with family events.
1: Well, it seems that uh, one of the unique features to me of uh, the Jewish liturgy and uh, the Jewish canon is that you get figures like Elijah who are sort of a mixed bag, as you pointed out earlier, ostensibly responsible for the murder of hundreds of, of prophets of, of Baal, and, and at the same time uh, the bringer of wisdom and a, a person uh, who is considered you know, one of the holy figures in, in the entire Bible. So, uh, you, you get these cross currents that seem contradictory, as, as, as if one has to reconcile these
0: opposites. Very, very much so. And I think the rabbis, the rabbis were uncomfortable with the extreme zeal, with his zealotry. So, the rabbis are trying to soften his image and and who he becomes, this helper and savior and rescuer, that's because of a transformation I would call a tikkun, a repair or a mending. So the question is, who brings about that tikkun? Is it authors working over the decades and centuries? You could say that, but you could say it's Elijah himself. Elijah realizes that he has to change, that he has to grow, and over the centuries, over the millennia, that's what he does. He, he refashions himself. He learns how to love. He learns how to cultivate gentleness to balance his, his passion and his zeal. He doesn't lose his passion, but he channels it into, he channels the, the zeal into compassion.
1: This is a, a similar pattern you also
0: see in the Jewish patriarchs. Yeah, very, very human. One of the great things about the Hebrew Bible is how human the heroes are. They stumble and they fall and they hopefully learn. They learn from their stumbling. And Elijah, Elijah carries on that tradition, too.
1: As a contemporary scholar of Elijah, did you feel in, in writing the book that a, any sense of connection with this
0: actual or archetypal figure? Yeah, very much so. I mean, my whole life I was intrigued by Elijah. You know, the things we've talked about, the Seder, the cup on the table, opening the door, singing. In our family, we would end every Sabbath. Saturday afternoon, our family would sit around the living room and just actually tell stories and sing songs as we prepared to to say goodbye to the Sabbath queen. The Sabbath is pictured as a queen. You welcome her in Friday evening. And Saturday night, you, you part from your guest. And it's really a bittersweet time, the last moments you have with this guest called the Sabbath Queen. So how does Elijah fit in here? Because Elijah is invoked Saturday night as you say goodbye to the Sabbath. But in our home, before that, late, late Saturday afternoon, we'd be sitting around the living room singing and talking and schmoozing and, you know, kids aren't always uh, great participants, but we we were intrigued. And remember, we always sang a certain song. My father taught us a song in Hebrew uh, that mentioned Elijah. It says there's a young boy sitting by the Sea of Galilee, living in a palace and learning Torah from Elijah. So I would hear that every week, singing it and, and learning the song. And I always wondered, who is this figure? And Moses and Abraham, you can see in the Bible who they were. Elijah is is such a mysterious figure. He's there in the Bible, but all of a sudden he shows up in your living room or he's at the Seder table. Who is this? So I never understood who he was, and it, it troubled me and confused me. So working on this book for four or five years helped me just uh, dig deeply, delve deeply into this fascinating personality. And I... I do feel that I have some connection to him because now I realize Elijah isn't someone out there and up there. Elijah is this, this secret messenger within. And if you quiet your mind enough, if you experience that sound of sheer stillness, then you can discover some new learning, some new wisdom. And it may be Elijah who's conveying that. It may be something else. But Elijah is a way to put a name on this mysterious um, bubbling, this bubbling up of, of new newness.
1: Well, I, I guess it'd be fair to say that Elijah is an expression of the divine.
0: Yes, yes. Expression of the divine, an embodiment of the divine spirit, you know the thing is for the messiah too it's it's elijah was a way to to picture the messiah you know jews don't often picture the messiah compared to christians of course have an image of the messiah as christ as jesus for jews messiah is more of an ethereal figure so elijah is a way to to give uh, flesh and bones as it were to this messianic figure because elijah will announce the messiah elijah actually shares in the work of the Messiah.
1: Now, I think it would be remiss if we didn't bring up the story of uh, Shabbatai, Shabbatai Tzvi, oh. the uh, false Messiah of, of Judaism, and his
0: ostensible relationship to Elijah. Yeah, that's interesting. Shabt Tzvi is a very colorful, tragic figure in Jewish history. He's one of many Jews who came to feel that they were the Messiah. Someone once told me uh, this is an occupational hazard of being a Jewish mystic—to to think that you are the Messiah. But uh, there were there are many people who who had this thought or this illusion throughout history. Shabt Tzvi is the most famous one. Why? Because he generated a, a huge following. Shabtah lived in the 17th century. He was a troubled spiritual seeker. He actually went to a Kabbalistic healer, and the Kabbalistic healer, instead of healing him, or as part of healing him, uh, convinced Shabtah that he was the Messiah. So Shabtah proclaimed himself to be the Mashiach, and uh, thousands and thousands of Jews, among them some very prominent rabbis, they accepted that he was the Messiah. Eventually, he became so powerful that he became a threat to the Islamic authorities in Turkey and the Ottoman Empire. And he was imprisoned by the Sultan. And the Sultan gave Shaptatsvi the choice, either you convert to Islam or we will execute you. If Shaptatsvi had taken the route of execution, he probably would have turned into another martyred Messiah, something like Jesus. But instead Shabtad Tzvi took the easy way out and converted to Islam. So that's pretty shocking for the Jewish Messiah to reject his religion. But you know theologians are very creative and some of Shabtad Tzvi's own theologians explained that he had to convert to Islam in order to go down into the, the depths of non-Jewish religion and redeem the divine sparks that were hidden there. So some followers converted along with him. Many Jews at that point rejected him, but he still had a huge following, a large following for decades. There's still today, there are people who believe in Shabbat Tzvi. In any case, Shabbat Tzvi uh, had an experience of, of being anointed Messiah and gradually that became, uh, that, gradually that was written down and Elijah was the one who anointed him. Uh, even it, it seems at the beginning Shabtai Tzvi felt there was some other figure involved with the anointing, but the- the Sabbatean tradition became that Elijah anointed uh Shabtai Tzvi. and so he plays a role in that in that phase of Jewish history too
1: and I guess there is a lesson in that and
0: probably many lessons. You know, people can get carried away with inspiration and ego comes in, you know, unavoidably. So you have to wonder, you know, when someone claims to be the Messiah or claims to have enlightenment, I think it's good to be skeptical. It's good to, to ask, you know, is this a livable teaching that that person is conveying? Is it his ego or his genuine spiritual search? It's hard to distinguish those sometimes. So it's good to not to accept all spiritual claims, obviously. It's gotten the world into great trouble. Uh, Religion has caused so much suffering and trouble along with uh, the enlightenment and and the progress.
1: Well, Daniel, Matt, this has been a fascinating discussion. It's really one of the most interesting, most complex, and most inspirational characters in all of religious history. You've you've done a wonderful job of explicating all the nuances. I highly recommend your book, Becoming Elijah, for our viewers. And it's a great pleasure to be with you again after so many decades.
0: Thank you, Jeffrey. Wonderful to discuss this and explore it with you. Shalom. Shalom.
1: And and I'm hopeful we can find time in the future to dig more deeply into Zohar and the Kabbalah as well. Wonderful. For those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us.